Amen. Lord, you are indeed worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. And you're the only sacrifice that could have paid the price for us. Lord, the only one who could, and we thank you that you did. Because, Lord, without you, we'd be desperate, we'd be hopeless and helpless. So, Father, as we go to your word right now, we ask that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 5, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Hey guys, I want to encourage you. Saturday, come. You'll be blessed. Usually there's a couple thousand guys there. And uh, I know Raul Reese is one of the speakers. He's one of my favorites. I love Raul. Uh, Sandy Adams is coming in from Atlanta, Georgia, who taught one of the best messages I've ever heard in my life at the pastor's conference a couple years ago. And it should be a great time of fellowship just to drive there and to drive back. Sometimes we regret the drive. Or we, you know, we don't look forward to it. But that's really a neat time of getting to know each other. So I'd encourage you guys to come on out to that. You'll be blessed, I promise. And uh, I will be going. I'm looking forward to it myself. All right. Book of Judges, chapter 5. So, so far, first four chapters, what we saw, just to remind you again, that Joshua has died. And when Joshua died... Instead of looking to the Lord as their king and seeking to follow him, they fell away from the Lord and they became a generation very quickly that did not know God. All of a sudden they didn't know God. Their their leader left, they didn't know God anymore. And we saw in chapter 1 the consequences of compromise by adding to God's word, by following the world's example. In the end, the enemy comes into the camp and and there's heavy consequences that follow. We then saw in chapter 2 the thorns of disobedience, that our sin and rebellion does indeed have consequences. Guys, we're forgiven, but our sin still has consequences. Amen? When we choose to sin, there are still consequences that follow. Chapter 3, we looked at bringing down strongholds, the high cost of compromise. Remember for them, they began by dwelling among the enemy. Then after dwelling among them, they were linked to them. And then they started worshiping their gods, and before you knew it, they were captive to the enemy. And that's how sin is often. It's a little compromise to another little compromise to another little compromise. And before you know it, we're totally linked to the world. Then last week in chapter 4, a great message that I pray is an encouragement to every woman who was here. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to get it. Chapter 4, we looked at courageous women of faith. And specifically, what's a woman to do when her husband or the man that God's called to be in her life is not standing up for God. Certainly this applies to all women, whether you're married or not. But like Deborah, there's a calling to encourage your husband in his calling, to walk with him patiently. But also like Jael, there's a time when we have to choose between honoring God and honoring your husband's rebellion. We're to honor our, we're to submit to those in authority over us until they tell us to do something directly contrary to the word of God. But I want to encourage you that submission to your husband, submission by children to their parents, does indeed honor the Lord, but there is a time when we need to make a stand for God. So now as we come to Judges chapter 5, we come to this evening's text, we're going to see that Deborah, the first female judge over Israel, the only female judge in the history of Israel, judge, don't think of a black robe and a, a gavel, you've heard me say that, a judge more along the lines of a deliverer, along the lines of a, a Moses. And it was a sign of spiritual maturity when God brought about a great victory that no matter how large it was, in this case with Deborah, that she doesn't take the credit for herself, but instead she honors God. And Deborah's song was to commemorate the victory that we saw in the previous chapter. 
In chapter 4, we'll, we'll be going over some of it in this chapter, so we'll look at it then. But we know that God brought about a great and a mighty victory, and it was this woman by the name of Deborah who stood up. Now, what I love, too, is that she writes a song. How many of you guys know that music stirs up your emotions big time? Is that true or not? And that's why I need to be careful what kind of music we listen to. Amen? We need to listen to music. God created music to worship Him. And so, you know what? We get to heaven, we're going to be... We're going to sing in praise songs. We're not going to be singing, uh, you know, ACDC in heaven. Amen? And, I, you know, I would encourage you that we listen to music that honors the Lord. And there's a real power in music. You know, I've, I found this happen to me just recently. You can be driving down the road or you're walking through the mall. I was walking through the mall. It's been a while back. And I heard this song coming out of a store. And immediately, it was from the 80s. And it was when I was playing college football, the guy that was in the locker next to me had this huge boombox, back before they had iPods, and they had this big, huge boombox, and he was cranking this, he'd crank the same, back then, cassette, right, over and over and over and over, and just wore that thing out, and you know what, I heard that song, and immediately I was back in the locker room, I could almost smell the grass stains on my uniform, I mean, it just brings you right back, and you know, it's interesting, I hadn't thought about that guy in years, and it drew me to, to pray for Rufus Love III, one of our wide receivers on the team. And I had a burn for him. But it's amazing how that, you just hear a song, and it triggers you. And I hate to, to admit it, but the truth is that we forget messages pretty quickly. But we remember songs for a lifetime. Isn't that true? And that's one of the reasons that I love music, where you just take Scripture and put music to it. Because then it drives it home for us, doesn't it? And I love that kind of worship, where you just take Scripture... And it just brings it deep into our hearts. And I want to say this. I believe that the main reason so many people probably like old music. I mean, certainly people like the oldies themselves. But I mean, part of the reason they like it is it brings back the emotions they used to have. Kind of takes them back in time. Maybe they feel like they're 25 again or something, right? That's some golden oldies, right? The music can be the dumbest song ever, but, but I feel really young when I hear it, right? And the same thing is true here, that this song is being written that is to be sung for future generations that would bring them back to when God brought about this great victory, that they would not forget it. And so, I, you know what? God can use those types of things. You know, I, I think of it myself. I'll ask somebody if they know a certain psalm, and they'll say, well, no. And then I'll start singing it. And, oh, yeah, I know that song. Because it's a song, and it drives it home. So Deborah's song is celebrating victory, but it's going to be a reminder to the next generation. So if you're a note taker, I titled the message tonight, Walking in Victory. And as we look at Deborah's song, sung in celebration of this victory that God had given Israel, we're going to see some clear applications for you and I today as we seek to live that victorious Christian life. And for you note takers, again, we're going to see six clear points that can apply to every life in this room. And I don't encourage you, if you don't take notes, pray about starting to do that, even if you never look at them again. I know whenever I listen to a message, I always take notes, only because it, draw, it, kept, it keeps me on track. And even if I don't ever look at them again, it helps me get a lot more out of the message. And so in the end, we're also going to see not only the, the six clear points that apply to our lives as Christians, but also we're going to see in the end the clear contrast between those who know God and the hope that we have, and then sadly, those who have no hope, and in this case, they're dead and they don't even know it. You know in the world today, that the Bible tells us very clearly that those who do not know God are spiritually dead. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And you know what? That doesn't mean that we're self-righteous toward them. We need to be brokenhearted for them. To see them come to know Christ. 
but they are spiritually dead. And we'll see that at the end of the text. So walking in victory, again, six clear applications for walking in victory in the midst of life's daily battles. We're going to see them all in this song written by Deborah, this godly woman, this courageous woman. What a, a, a great example of a godly woman. So the first one we're going to see is that in walking in victory is that we need first to willingly respond to God's calling upon our lives. Again, if you're taking notes, number one, we need to willingly respond to God's calling upon our lives. Look at verse one. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinam, sang on that day, saying. The first word there is then. Then. After God had brought about this great victory, after they had been delivered out of bondage, after God had destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan and Sisera his general and all of his mighty army and wiped out, we'll talk about this more in a moment, the 900 chariots that seemed invincible and God brought them all down. Then it says, after God brought about this great victory, Deborah and Barak the son of Abinam sang on that day, saying... A song of glorious celebration for the great victory and the deliverance that God had brought to Israel. Now, by way of quick review again, Deborah, she was a prophetess and a judge. Prophet is one who speaks for God, foretells the truth or foretells the truth. Now, how many times can a prophet be wrong and they're not a prophet anymore? One time. And that blows people's minds. Well, what, uh, no, well, then there's not very many prophets. That's right. Very good. That's why when you look at the prophecies of some of these people that are following these false religions and they predicted the end of the world, right? And then it doesn't happen. Guess what? You're game over. Now, we knew that already, but now game over for you. That's it. You're done. Because you prophesied the end of the world. It didn't happen. You're done. And the sad part is that we too often, I, I, you know what? I don't really see a lot of prophets ever calling themselves prophets. They tend to be identified as prophets by God and by other men because they see God moving in them. But if a guy says, I'm the prophet, what, uh, run away. Quickly. Not good. And she is a prophetess, which means she speaks for God. I believe today that God still ha- gives the gift of prophecy, but it's more often the foretelling of truth than the foretelling of truth. It's prophetic when you get up and teach the Bible because it's the truth. And so you're, pro- you're proclaiming the truth that is prophetic, okay? Now, that is foretelling, foretelling as opposed to foretelling. But not only was she a prophetess, which there are five or six women that we know of in Scripture, well, actually the four daughters of Philip and then several others that are called prophetesses in the Bible, but she was also a judge or a deliverer of Israel. She'd been faithful and courageous when seemingly no other man would stand up. All the men were napping. So Deborah said, okay, Lord, I'm here. Now, we talked about what was the meaning of her name. Who remembers from last week? B. B, very good. She was much like a bee, as we talked about. She was industrious. Remember we talked about how bees flap their wings 190 times in a second last week? Well, she was very industrious herself. She was discerning. We know the bees can smell five miles away. She was sweet. And at the same time, she had a sting to her when she needed it, Right? And that's the kind of woman Deborah was. She was a woman being used mightily by God. Well, then there's this, young, this man by the name of Barak. And Barak's name means lightning, and he did not live up to his name at all. Barak, for lack of a better word, was a wimp. Because what happened? Who was supposed to be fighting the battle? Barak. Who's the general? Barak. So Deborah calls him in, and she encourages him from the word, the right thing to do. She says, Barak, did God say? That's a good way to start 
any form of encouragement. Amen? Didn't God say? Didn't God tell us? And then Barak says, well, if you'll go, then I'll go. But if you won't go, then I'm not going to go. Loser, right? I mean, wimp. What's up with that? You know, the whole point was that he was putting more faith in Deborah's faith than in his own faith. We talked about this last week. Guys, we need to have such an intimate walk with God that we're not trying to cling on to someone else's faith or someone else's walk. You know, we don't need to go through anybody else. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Amen? And so we don't need to go through another man or go through another way or think if we hang out close. If I just get next to Billy Graham, then I'll really... No. You know what? He's a sinner saved by grace too. Amen? And so too often, that's what Barak, he's making the mistake. Well, if you'll go, then God will be there, so I'll go. But if you're not going to go, I'm not going. Even though he was called by God to do it. Now, I encourage you, last week you'll notice that Deborah went with him. And so maybe you got a husband that's being a little Barak-like. He's not quite stepping up. And you, you encourage him to do something, and he says, I'll go if you go. You know what? Go with him. He should go anyway, but you go with him. Amen? Because that's exactly what Deborah did. Deborah said, I'll go. And God's going to use him in spite of his faithlessness. They sang on that day. On the day of their glorious victory over the enemy, they sang a song. And then it began this way in verse 2. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. God has a calling on every life in this room. And he's called you, he's saved you, and he wants to use you. But I found this to be true for probably everybody in this room. That virtually all of us are called to both lead and follow in different aspects of life. Isn't that true? You know, you're called to lead as a father, be the spiritual leader in your home. You're called to lead as a mother uh, to your children, be a spiritual leader to your kids. You're called maybe to be, maybe you're the boss at work, you're called to be a leader there. But you know what? At the same time, we're all called to submit as well. We're called as, as a father or a mother submit to her husband, children to submit to their parents, and, and pastors and elders, even in the church, we're to submit to others that God has placed in authority over us. And so I've learned a long time ago, and the Bible holds this to be very clear, that if you cannot follow, you cannot lead. And if you cannot be someone who's got a servant's heart to follow others and minister to others, you'll never be one who leads well. In my own life, I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and, and I'm blessed to be all of those things. And in, in each of those cases, I'm called to lead. But you know what? I better be serving as much or more as I lead. I better be doing that and be an example in that way. And I must be willing to submit to those that God has placed over in my life. You know what is tragic? is when somebody who's called to lead won't step up. You know what, guys? Your wife wants you to lead. She absolutely wants you to lead. She may not always act like it, but she does. She really does. And she wants you to lead in a godly way, not with an iron fist. Sit down, shut up, and submit, woman. Not real effective. <laughs> not real effective. And I've had people do that in counseling. Woman, you submit to me. I'm like, dude, I wonder why she doesn't. I can't imagine. And aren't you, and aren't you glad that's not how God has us submit to him? He doesn't get a fist out and pound us on the head with a hammer till we submit. You know what? He wants to submit out of love for him. And isn't it easy to submit to the Lord because we love him? I love to submit. Who, who do I want my life? I want in his hands, not mine. Lord, take it. You lead. You direct. You guide. But it's so tragic when a husband won't step up 
and be a spiritual leader. It's also tragic when parents won't lead, discipline, and feed their children. I'm blown away by parents. Their kids get to be 14 or 15. Well, they're not going to do that anymore. They don't want to. And since when do they have a vote? I'm trying to figure this out. Are you the parent or are they the parent? Well, though, if he's 14, he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Uh, not too big to spank, I think. All right? As long as my kids can disobey, they're old enough to spank. And the truth is that they need discipline, and God gave them a parent for a reason. And the worst thing you can do for your kids is stop leading them spiritually. The worst thing you can do for your kids is just give up on them. God doesn't give up on you, does he? We shouldn't give up on our kids. And then thirdly, what about a pastor who lacks wisdom and a clear calling from God and just takes his church in every which direction, whatever new wind blows into town, he's following it. Those things are tragic. But just as tragic is when someone is called to follow and submit and they won't do it. Wives who won't submit to their husbands. Children who won't submit to their parents. Employees who won't submit to their employers. Citizens who won't submit to their government. Now in all these cases, you submit as long as they're honoring God. Okay, but that doesn't mean you get to be the judge on whether or not your your husband's honoring God. Well, I'm not submitting to that part because I don't think God would want me to do that. You better have some scripture handy. Amen? (laughs) Otherwise, get to honoring, all right? Because too often people say, well, I don't think God really wants us to do that. I don't think we're supposed to move. I just don't think that's what the... You got a verse for that? Well, no, I I don't have a verse. Well, then start packing. And I'm encouraging, I encourage people to do that. Why? Because, you know what? As a husband, I'm accountable for what I lead my family into. And the best thing my wife can do for me is be on my side and, run, and go with me. As opposed to battle against me. Amen? And the same is true with our children and our families. So, the number one key to walking in victory, notice that he says there, when the people willingly offered themselves. They didn't give themselves to the Lord out of contrition. They didn't give themselves to the Lord because they were scared they were going to get hit with a lightning bolt if they didn't. They gave themselves to God because they loved Him. You know what? I hope my wife's birthday is tomorrow, and I, I hope that she didn't marry me because she was afraid if she didn't. I hope she married me because she wanted to be with me. And you know what? That, we're the bride of Christ. And we should be so in love with Him, there's nothing we want more in this world than to be with Him and to follow Him and to walk with Him. And the Lord says in this, it says in this verse, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Guys, it's a blessing to God when we come before Him and willingly give our lives to Him. God brought victory to Israel as the leaders stood up to lead at God's command. When the people willingly joined into the battle then the victory came guys victory comes when we're willing to be used by god you know when you just say okay lord i'm here right here lord i don't have really anything to give you except myself here it is i don't have a whole lot of abilities lord but what i've got they're yours you know what god will use you in a mighty way if you have that prayer god is looking for those who are simply willing a willingness to be used by god in whatever way he chooses by the way we don't get to say okay lord use my life but only this way isn't there a temptation now lord i think you're supposed to use me now so i kind of got my eye on this is how i want and i want it to be this kind of way and this is i think i should probably be full-time but i want to be paid this amount and i want to have this kind of and this is where i want to live and no, 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 no. Do you, do you see any of the apostles negotiating a salary when they get called by God? Matthew, come and follow me. So what does this gig pay exactly? 
That never happens. It's yes, Lord. I'm following you with a willing heart. It's a get to, not a have to. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing to allow him to use your gifts and to stir them up? Are you ready to respond to God's calling upon your life? If you are, it will be a blessing to the Lord. While we respond, in the end, it is God who does the work, and God alone is the one to be glorified. Look what she says. The leaders led. The people were willing to offer themselves. Bless the Lord. Who gets all the praise every time? God does. You see anybody, t- you know, every, almost every time we go to the senior pastor's conference, Chuck Smith's first message is a variation on the same message every year because we need to hear it. And it's touch not the women, touch not the wine, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Guys, you're servants, don't forget it. Guys, you're the chief servant in the church. And you lay down your life for the Lord. And that's what you are. And don't ever start to think more of yourself than you should. I don't care how many people are in your church. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord because He did all of it. And He gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And as soon as you see someone touching the glory, run away. So walking in victory, number one, by willingly responding to God's calling upon our lives. Willingly respond. Lord, here's my life. I give it to you completely. Number two, if you're taking notes. Walking in victory. When we remember all that God has done for us. It's so helpful to remember all that God has done for us. It helps us to continue. And again, we can't do any of this without the Lord's help. Without Him, we can do nothing, the Bible says. So I'm not giving you a bunch of works to try to accomplish. But what I'm trying to tell you is, as we walk in the Spirit, these things will be evident. We will remember all that God has done for us. Verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. I, even I, will sing, she says. Hear, O princes, give ear. Here's Deborah. She wants every world leader to hear this message. O princes, O kings, everybody, this message is for you. And this is her desire, that they might learn there's someone greater than them. Hey, king, you're not really the king. Hey, prince, prince greater than you. Hey, Mr. President, someone above you. And her heart and her desire was that they'd all hear it. But I love this. She says, I, even I, will sing because I love her boldness, but I also love her humility. Because if you look at the way this is written in the original language, she's basically saying, I, even me, the one who can't sing, the one who doesn't have the voice, the one who's not really called, I'm going to sing to the Lord. Because you know what? That tells me that she's humble. And it also tells me she's more worried about praising God than sounding good in front of men. Too often we don't want to sing. I heard people say that. Well, I don't worship because I don't sound so good. Well, who are you trying to sound good for? Because to the Lord, he says, it's all good. Amen? To him, it's beautiful. It's a joyful noise. And the way some of us sing, it is noise. But to him, it's joyful. Amen? And the point is, we need to worship because we need to remember who we're singing to. And she says, I, even I, will sing. We can be both bold to proclaim the truth and humble about our own sinful state at the same time. She's bold here, but she's humble. Some people think those two things are are opposites. They're not. Well, if I'm bold, I'm proud. No, you're not. You can be bold and proud, but you can also be bold and humble. It depends on what you're proclaiming in your boldness. And I love that she sang unto the Lord and praised Him anyway because she was more concerned again about worshiping and honoring God in light of all He had done rather than allowing what people thought about her voice to get in the way. 
So too, you and I never allow our perceived physical weakness or fear of what others may think keep us from allowing God to use us spiritually. Remember Moses? I'm a stutterer. Remember that? Lord, you can't use me. I'm a stutterer. I'm going to be your spokesman. Thanks. Let me do something else. Let me drive a chariot or something. I'm good at that, but I'm not very good at speaking. Lord, so that's why I want to use you. You know why? Because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Because then he gets glorified, amen? So if God's using you, what does that make you? It's a little humility pill there, right? A foolish thing. Verse 4 and 5. Then he says, here's the reminder of things that God had done. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the the clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. There's two potential things she's referring to here, Deborah. God had won a victory for Israel over Sisera by sending a great rain, and she could be referring back to an earlier time when God used rain to bring about a victory, when he encompassed the land of Israel, marching toward Canaan, and he defeated Sihon and Og. But it's also possible, she's talking about when the law was given, because she says Sinai here. You guys remember what happened at Sinai? That was an awesome sight. Can you imagine being there? Moses says, I'm going to go up on the mountain. First, God just speaks. They show up at Sinai, and God starts talking to them. And they're like, quit it! Because they're like, if you keep talking, we're all going to die. We can't even take your voice. You're such an awesome God. So they send Moses up there instead. But when notice that when they, they heard his voice, when God spoke, the earth trembled, the whole mountain shook. And guys, it's good to remember how great God is. It's good to remember the things that he's already done, let alone what he's going to do. And sometimes we get so caught up in our world, we forget about what God's doing and what God's done. Guys, if we remember how great our God is, our problems don't seem so big anymore. In the Old Testament, he defeated the enemies and the Egyptians and the Canaanites. He exhibited great power, but with the plagues, he parted the Red Sea. He spoke from Mount Sinai. He brought manna from the sky, water from the rock. All of those things they were to look back at and realize how great God was. For you and I, we can look at all of those things, but the place we really need to look is the cross. And as we look back to the cross, guess what? It is finished. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and that is the greatest triumph in the history of all mankind, and it ought to be an encouragement to us as we look back and remember what God has done. Guys, we can walk in victory when we know who's in control. We can walk in victory when we know what God has done, and we trust him. It's easy to have faith going forward when we look back at God's faithfulness behind us. So walking in victory, number one, by willingly responding to God's calling on our lives. Number two, by remembering all that God has done, all that He has already done. Number three, by remembering who we were before we got saved. Now I want to say this, I don't think we need to live and, talk and drudge up our old sinful past all the time. But I do think it's good to remember that Jesus Christ snatched us out of that. That he delivered us from it. He that's been forgiven much loves much. Amen? Now we don't have to go back there and, and deal with it and, and regurgitate it and counsel about it. And blah, blah, blah. You know what? You're forgiven. He said it's finished. Is that true or not? Now there are occasions where we have, you know, we counsel about it, but we should not live there. If you're struggling with something, you're, let's, let's pray together about it, but we don't need 500 sessions. Amen? 
done. He paid it. It's finished. So we need to remember who we were. Now look at verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, remember her? Jael's the woman who we're going to see spiked somebody. She's going to do it again this chapter. The highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Now Shamgar was the judge before Deborah, and the highways were deserted. You know why? Because people were in constant fear of the enemy. They took the back roads. They had to hide out because they were afraid the enemy was going to come and pick them off. They were in bondage. And they, they had this, this enemy that was oppressing them. It says in verse 7, Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. Village life ceased. Fear crippled them. They could no longer dwell in unwalled villages. So all the people moved into the fortified cities because they were scared to death. You know what? That's the way our lives were before we came to know Christ. We can act like we were really tough. But the truth is that we lived in fear because the enemy controlled our lives. Now we made our own choices. We were sinners and we made our own choice in our flesh. But we were ruled by the prince of the power of this world. Not our, you know, he was on the throne of our life. We were on the throne of our life, not the Lord. But now, guys, we're not there any, living there anymore. Now look what it says. The village life ceased. It's, it ceased in Israel. There was fear. The enemy had control. And then it says, until I, Deborah, arose. Now, is she being arrogant? I don't think so. I believe that she was simply the one willing to stand up. It pleased God to raise up this courageous woman because, again, I believe that there was no man willing to stand up. And God works through willing individuals, and sadly, they're often scarce in, the, in these times of great uh, opposition. You know, there was a, an enemy that everybody's afraid of. Nobody stood up. David and Goliath. That 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath's coming down, and nobody stands up. David shows up. It took one guy to turn everything around. Deborah's the one who's saying, Lord, I'm right here. Hey, you know what? In your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, one person, can, God can use one person to transform that place. He absolutely can. But look what I love. I love this next line. Arose a mother in Israel. Here's the interesting part. Deborah can be described as a prophetess, a judge, a warrior, a counselor, a leader, or a songwriter, but instead she refers to herself in what I believe is the highest calling upon her life, which is to be a mom. I believe being a mom is greater than being a prophetess. I believe that being a mom is greater than being a songwriter, a warrior, a counselor, a judge, or anything else. And we live in a world today where being a mom is downplayed. You know, it's looked down on. I talked about this a little bit last week. But I want to encourage you, moms, being a mother and raising your kids to love and serve and honor Jesus is far and away the highest calling you could ever have in your life. Nothing higher, nothing greater, nothing better than that. No matter what else you do, nothing will ever compare in, in, in importance to raising your kids to love and serve the Lord. Of women ask me, what's my ministry? I'll say, your family. Start there. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other areas where God wants to use you. Because God does. But start there. Don't forsake your family to do ministry. That's your number one ministry. And they're, they're precious. Moms, being a mom does not get in the way of your career. Your career gets in the way of you being a mom. That's not real popular, I know. Oh, Pastor Dave, just send us back 50 years. 
But here's the truth. Too often, we think, well, if I didn't have you know, the kids and I can't do all the things I want to do, and oh, 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 oh. You know what? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, and nothing else is going to matter when we get to heaven. No matter how much money you make. I, tell, I used to tell my wife that all the time. That, you know, when I would go out and work, and she's a full-time mom at home with our four kids, I tell her, babe, what you do with our kids will last for eternity. The money that I go out and make, it's a blessing, and it's God's provision, but we spend it and it's gone. But the impact you have on our kids will never end. Guys, we, ne- we should not take that lightly. Children are, etern- are eternal, and Christianity is more caught than taught. It even says in Genesis that women are saved. A better word there is fulfilled in raising children. We should never play that down. We should never make it less than it is. And again, I'm not saying that a woman shouldn't work outside of her house. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm telling you is that your career or your job should never come in front of your kids. Ever. You know what? And if it's, if it's too much, talk to your husband and say, you know what? I need more time with the kids. And dads, suck it up. You get a second job before you make your wife work. Oh, ouch. Got a lot of people in trouble. Everybody's <laughs> mad at me now. But here's the point. Here's the point. Too often what we're doing is, it's like, well, my wife, if my wife works 40 and 50, 70 hours, and then I don't have to, you know, ah. Don't do that. Now, again, if you don't have kids, your kids are all grown, different thing. But if you have children at home, let your wife be at home if you can. If you can do it, do it. It's worth it. Amen? You know, I loved coming home at lunch. I came home for lunch every day. And my mom would have, you know, hot soup or chili or something on the table, and we'd talk about our day. And every time I came home, my mom was the room mom and the team mom for every football team I was on. And, man, that meant so much to me. You have no idea how precious that is. And, again, I don't want the women here who have to work because of a financial situation to feel guilty. That's not my heart. Please don't feel bad, okay? God knows and you know, all right? And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just, I want to exalt being a mom as a great thing. That's my heart, okay? And here's Deborah, not Deborah the prophetess, Deborah the judge, Deborah the great warrior, Deborah the only one who would stand up when all the men were wimping out. That's not what she says. She says, Deborah, a mother in Israel, and I like that. Verse 8, they chose new gods, then there was war in the gates. Guys, anytime we turn away from the Lord and start serving the false gods of this world, in the end, there's going to be a war. And this speaks of God's righteous judgment at the hand of the Canaanites, even within the gates of the fortified cities. They'd fled from the villages, they moved into the fortified cities, and now there's war in the gates because they were serving false gods. Verse 8 at the second half there says, Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. You know what? They were defenseless because they turned to false gods. You turn to false gods, you've just lost your defense. You've, you've walked away from the one who wants to defend you and care for you and watch over you. Israel was serving false gods, living in fear, under constant af- attack, completely defenseless against its enemies. Why? Because they rebelled against God. Guys, I want to say this. You're God's child and He loves you. But if you rebel against God and you walk away and you can say, talk to the hand, God, I'm doing what I want and you run in the other direction, and you go that way, and then the consequences come, don't blame God. It's not His fault, it's yours. Amen? When we rebel and tell God we don't want Him, this is what the children of Israel have done. He's rained manna from the sky. He's done all these miracles for them, and then they say, ah, we're going to serve the false gods here. We think it would be kind of cool. Kind of a cool-looking block of wood over there. I think I'll serve that instead. 
Makes no sense. But you know what? We look in our own lives, be careful. We can mock those who serve false gods. We've got false gods of our own. Amen? Sometimes our idol's out in our driveway. We polish it on Saturday. You know, and we have different idols. And we have different things that we elevate a little bit too much. Sometimes it's a hobby or something else. So Israel chose these gods. He turned away. There's war in the gates. They didn't have any kind of a defense anymore. So walking in victory, number one, by willingly responding to God's calling upon your life. Number two, by remembering all that God has already done. And number three, by remembering where you were before you came to know the Lord. In their case, they're defenseless, they're in rebellion, they're, the enemy's on top of them, and there's no way out. They're done. They have no hope. They don't have a spear, they don't have a shield, they got nothing. And the enemy's attacking them in their own city gates. There's no escape for them. And you know what, guys? That's exactly where we were before we came to know Christ. We're under the thumb of the enemy. And there was no escape. And we need to remember that because it keeps us desperate for the Lord. So number four. Number four. When we boldly proclaim what God has done. First, remember what He has done. Remember who we were before we came to know Christ, and now boldly proclaim what God has done. Share it with others. This is how we can walk in the center of God's will. Look what it says in verse 9. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Again, Deborah's heart was with the leaders who willingly offered themselves to the Lord. She taught the people the truth of, they taught the people the truth of the law, even in the midst of trials and difficulty and oppression. You know what, guys, can I encourage you to do something? Pray for the pastors in the United States right now. Pray for them. Because you know where they're at? Right here. The opposition is, oh, don't talk about that. You know, there, there are laws and things, they're trying to pass laws to make it a hate crime to teach Romans chapter 1. You know, if you say something bad about homosexuality, that's a hate crime. If you say something bad, oh, you're going to be in trouble. Well, you know what? They start making it hate crimes. You guys are going to have to send me uh, you know, a file because I'm going to be in prison. Because the point is that in the midst of oppression and difficulty, the easiest thing to do is become politically correct. And you know what? I can't imagine the Apostle Paul being politically correct. I told you, brother, everyone went revival or a riot and often both. And you know what? Every Christian, we ought to be that way. Now, in love... But man, may we not dial it down because we're afraid of what the world says. And Deborah says, man, I love these guys, these rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the, willingly with the people. These guys said, I'm going to go with them, and I, you know, I don't care what the enemy does to me. I'm going to honor God. I'm doing it anyway. Verse 10. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys. What in the world does that mean? White donkeys were rare in those days, and they were usually owned by people who were either wealthy or had a great amount of power. And he's saying, those of you with a great deal of power, speak up for God. Those of you who are wealthy in positions of authority, speak up for God. Those of you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, who walk along the road, sit in judges' attire, who exercise authority in Israel, who walk along the road, no longer fearful of the attacks of the enemy. Verse 11, 
far from the noise of archers among the watering places. What does that mean? Well, one of the things that was happening in those days is that literally the enemy was picking people off everywhere they went. So, they, so archers, like snipers, would hang out where the water was because the people wouldn't walk on the roadway. So when they come to get water, the archers would pick them off. And it says far away from that front line where these people are being harmed. Those of you who are wealthy living in these, you know, riding on white donkeys and sitting in judges and, and walking along the road. It says there, there they shall account the righteous acts of the Lord. You know what? Now he says those, those of you should be singing praise songs to God. You shall account the righteous acts of God, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Those of you in positions of authority, those of you who have the ability to step up and speak for God, speak to those who are in the midst of difficulty and trials. Guys, too often we're waiting for someone else to speak up. And among the villagers, the poor at the watering holes, as well as the wealthy within the gates, the word of God was to be spoken. Look at the rest of verse 11. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. He says, go down to the water holes and speak to the poor. Go up to the gates and speak to the wealthy who are trading their stocks in the gates. You know what? Speak the word of God everywhere you go. Again, with great boldness. Verse 12. Awake! Awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song, arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinam. Now, sing, here, sings of call to action. They're singing this song, this is a song they're singing. And in the song they're singing, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, sing a song, praise the Lord, and do it with great boldness. Barak, go out and fight the battles because you know that God is with you. This is an exhortation to be bold and to fill God's calling upon your life. Walking in victory. How? By openly and boldly proclaiming what God has done and then sharing it with others. Guys, why do we hide it? How many, be honest, how many are feel fearful of sharing your faith? Raise your hand. I am sometimes. Aren't you? You know, and the enemy, is the enemy the biggest? If you ask them, I will ask you a question, you won't know. <laughs> and you'll look really stupid. And you have to live next door to them forever. And they'll mock you. You say something at work, you'll be the Jesus freak at work. Amen. And you won't get the good accounts anymore. And everybody will, uh, you know what? And may, God, may we get to the point where we don't care about that. Amen. We get to the point where, all right, fine, take my accounts. I don't care. Because it's God, God is our provider, amen? He's the one that provides. We need to trust Him and, and make a stand for Him. Share with others. You know, can I encourage you? The biggest thing that had the greatest impact on me becoming more bold and sharing my faith was starting to pray for people by name. I can't, I can't even tell you what that did to me. I started praying. I had 212 people in my office. I had a 72-mile commute. I just started praying for all of them by name all the way to work. And you know what happened? I'd see them and think, oh, is this the time? My whole attitude, my whole heart, everything changed once I started praying for them by name. So walking in victory by openly and boldly proclaiming what God has done. Number five, by walking in obedience in the face of the enemy. Look at verse 13. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. I love this part that the survivors, the remnant, those who were once under the yoke of Jabin came down. And had dominion over the the powerful people now because God was on their side. And then she says, the Lord came down for me against the mighty. 
But God used Deborah in the victory. She continues to recognize the one who brought the victory, and it was the Lord. She says, the Lord came down for me. It wasn't anything I did. It's what God did. Along with the rain, he stirred up the tribes to join the battle. Look at this next portion. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. Ephraim means double fruit, and that is also Deborah's tribe. After you, Benjamin, son of my right hand, with your peoples. From Machir, rulers came down. Machir, in case you haven't read that name before, in one of the tribes, they were the portion of Manasseh that, tri- that settled within the land of promise. Then it says, from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. Some of your translations talk about those who, who write with a pen. And they dropped their pens and picked up the sword. And they went and were bold to follow God. Verse 15, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah as Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Now, here are the faithful ones, but guess what? Not everybody is going to respond to God's calling. Well, you see, there basically are five tribes that say, okay, yes, Lord, we'll do what you say. Guess what? Not everybody did it. Look what happens. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why do you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. You know what? Some translations say among the division of Reuben there was great indecision. Maybe this will speak to some of you tonight. God's got a calling on your life and you've been thinking about it for eight years. Well, I'm thinking about getting involved. I'm thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been meditating on it. It's just something that's on my mind. You know what? It's the time it needs to get off of your mind and into your feet. Amen? Start doing something. And Reuben's indecisive, and he sits there so long. And look what it says. Where did he sit? With the sheep. He sat with the sheep. What are we doing right now? We're sitting with the sheep. Now, this is good. We need fellowship. That's good. But we better be doing more than that. Amen? Not just coming in, right, getting fatter, feed, 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 feed. I'm a 400-pound sheep, right? At some point, we've got to work that out a little bit, amen? And Reuben was indecisive. Sometimes there's a time to stop thinking and start doing, amen? Now look at Gilead. It says, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Remember the tribes that stayed on that side? Reuben, Gad, Gilead was over there. They didn't even come into the land of promise. They were so lazy. Well, it's kind of green out here. We'll just stay out here. It's just nice here. There's a bunch of fortresses over there. There's still some enemies on that side. I didn't sign up for that program. I just want to get as close to God's highest, but I don't really want it. And Gilead stood outside of God's highest. And they might have said, well, that's not my battle. I don't even live over there. It's not my concern. I'm just going to take care of my house. That is not a Christ-like thought process at all. We don't look at things only from our perspective. Now look at the next one. And why did Dan remain on ships? Dan was on a cruise and just decided to stay on the ship. Yeah, there's a battle on shore, but we're out here, so have another dessert. You know what I mean? Or whatever. They stayed on the cruise ship instead of entering into the battle. And again, too often as Christians, we're preoccupied with doing our own thing that we miss out on God's thing. Then it says, next, an asher continued at the seashore. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe the waves were really big. (laughs) Asher was hanging out at the beach. 
And he was so preoccupied at the beach that he missed the battle. Ouch, in Santa Cruz, right? Here's the thing. Now I want to say this. Going to the beach is not wrong. Going on a cruise is not wrong. Hanging out with a sheep certainly is not wrong. But we better not let any of those things hinder us from doing all that God wants us to do. I'd love to serve the Lord, but the waves have just been sweet, man, so sorry. Not going to happen, right? As soon as I get this thing, this one maneuver dialed in, man, then I'll come. Don't do that. Get dialed into Jesus, amen? And again, it's okay to do those things, but don't make them more important in your rela- than your relationship with the Lord. Then it says, now look at the contrast. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Dan's on the cruise ship and Zebulun is laying his life down. Reuben's thinking. Gilead's going, not my house. Asher's surfing. And, and here's Zebulun going, Lord, my life is yours. I'm laying it down completely. Here you go, Lord. Who do you think God is more blessed by? And who do you think is in heaven right now glad that they were faithful and obedient? Some are willing today to die for the cause of Christ, while others are unwilling to leave their comfort zone. I know people that won't come to church because it's raining. That's not quite laying your life down for the Lord, I'm thinking. Right? Well, I was going to come to church, but it was sprinkling outside, so I decided to watch golf on TV instead or something, right? And, you know, here, here's this, you know, I'm camping out at home. I'm just kind of chilling. I don't want to leave my comfort zone. You know, if you guys would get some nicer chairs, well, there's your excuse for that. But, you know, if you guys would do something, then maybe I would come. And so, sadly, we miss out on what's really important. Or they won't come to church because all their needs aren't being met. Can I encourage you with something? You should be ministered to here, but don't only come here to get your needs met. You've got to be coming here to minister to others. You've got to be coming here saying, Lord, how do you want to use me to minister to somebody else? This is not the me church, it's the he church, amen? It's all about him. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. So Zebulun and Naphtali are laying down their lives. They're serving God. Verse 19. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought. In Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no spoils of silver. I love this too. Megiddo, by the way, that's Armageddon. That's where the final battle will take place. And that's where this battle took place. And if you were here last week, you know that God brought rain down. And He supernaturally intervened in the battle just as He will in the battle of Armageddon. But notice, they took no spoils. They were not serving God for the money. You think a few people need to hear that today? They're not serving God for the money. We're going to pick it up. We've got to finish this because it, we're going to. Verse 20. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. Now, Sisera, here's the thing. We know that God fought them from the heavens. You know, you know you're chapped when the heavens are fighting against you. I mean, ask Louisiana how that worked out when there's a... You know, what do you do to stop a hurricane? I mean, what do you do? What do you do to stop a tornado? What do you do when God opens up the earth? When there's an earthquake, what do we do? You run for the doorway, right? I mean, what else can you do? And you know what? They're fighting a battle and all of a sudden God gets involved. And rain starts coming down and it says the stars. I don't know what the stars did. But whatever it was, it impacted the battle. I don't know if they got like really bright over Israel so they could see and the other guys could. I don't know. But whatever it was, God got involved. And aren't you glad if you go out and fight the battle, God's on your side? Ask David. How'd that work out for Goliath? 
Praise God that we have God on our side. Verse 16, the torrent of Kishon swept them away. What swept away the enemy? Rain came down, the river flooded, and there were these huge 900 chariots with these really long poles out the side that had real sticky points on them, and they would take the knees out of people. They would go barreling along 900 of these things, and they would just hit guys and just cut their knees off. And all of a sudden, guess what? It starts raining, and these chariots get stuck in the mud. Now they're of no value whatsoever. You could have said 900 chariots, we don't even have a sword or a shield, we got nothing. I don't know what they were fighting with, rocks or what? But you know what? God's on their side, amen? Rain comes, they start tearing them up. And they start winning the battle, because if God is for us, who can be against us? It says, oh my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. You know what? The horses started running away. They were real mighty until God got involved and they all ran away. They got to witness God's mighty hand at work and would be blessed because they were faithful when it didn't make sense. Often God's going to call us to do stuff, guys, that doesn't make sense when we look from the outward appearance. And God says, go anyway. And that's when we get to see God work. But notice, you have the disobedient, you have those who would not go into battle. But notice what happens to those who don't go into battle. Look at verse 23. Curse Maraz, said the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when you see angel of the Lord, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Curse Maraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Guess what, guys? There are blessings for obedience, and there are consequences or even cursings when we disobey. We don't only just miss out on God's highest, but we also receive the consequences that are due, our, our disobedience or our rebellion. They sat back and did nothing for the kingdom of God as the battle went on all around them and it's serious to God when we do nothing for God. I almost titled the message, Doing Nothing for God. I don't think I'd, very many people would pick up the tape. I don't think that'd be very effective. But doing nothing for God. And you know, that's a lot of the church today. Doing nothing for God. And God desires that we would get out of that. One day soon, the battle's going to be over, you guys, and it's going to be too late. Use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your finances to impact eternity instead of trying to drive your own comfort. Whose example are you following? Zebulun, laying down his life. Benjamin, in the battle. Reuben, thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. How long have you been thinking? Long time. Gilead, staying home. That's not my battle. Dan, on the cruise ship. Asher, hanging out at the beach. You know, whose example are we following? Man, that's an exhortive message, isn't it? Verse number five was by walking in obedience in the face of the enemy. Number six, the last one, by putting the flesh to death. This is a great story if you weren't here last week. We're going to go through it quickly. But most blessed among women is Jael. Anybody was concerned that Jael did a bad thing last week? There's your answer. No, she didn't. Blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber. Heber's name means what? Cross her over. Cross over. You know what? He's the compromiser. Remember, he was on nobody's side. I'm on no one's side. So he told Sisera where the children of Israel were, and he was basically against God. But look what his wife does. Blessed is she among women in tents. So Sisera shows up at her, at her tent, and when he gets there, he says, I want you to hide me from the children of Israel. He knew that in the past that her husband had been, shown him favor, and he says, let me come into your tent and hide. And so he went into the tent, and she covered him up with a, with a mantle or a blanket. 
And then he asked for water. We talked about this last week. Get the tape. But, you know, our flesh will ask us, feed me. Feed me. Satisfy me. And instead of giving him water to satisfy him, she gave him milk. Milk in the Bible is a picture of Word of God. Sanctify your homes by the washing of the water of the Word of God, but also talks about the milk of the Word as well. And so she says to him, she gives him milk instead. She doesn't give him what he wants. Well, you lay a guy down in a hot tent with warm milk, because you're in a tent in the desert, guess what that milk's like? Probably like yogurt or butter or something, right? He drinks his stuff down, and it's good night now. He's napping. Now, what does JL do? So she stretched, look what it says. He asked for water, she gave him milk, she brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg. Now, the women were the ones who set up the tents in those days. So she knew what she was doing. She was using what God had already put in her hand. Her right hand to the workman's hammer, she pounded Sisera, she pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. I guess so. (laughs) Tent stake through the temple, you got issues. You're dead. Every time. Now what's interesting, this is a song. Did you read verse 27? Can't you kind of, you know, it's it's translated into English. But can't you almost see that being like a melody or something? (laughs) At her feet he sank, you know, at her feet he sank, he fell. He, He lay still, you know. They're singing this. You think this might be a warning for generations to come? You dishonor God. Not good. Tent peg in the head. And it says here that the Lord honored her because of it. You know what? She didn't do what her husband was doing in compromising. She honored the Lord instead. Last three verses. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? She's looking for her son to come home. And guess what? She's not coming. She's got a tent peg in the head. (laughs) Now look at this. This is almost funny if it weren't tragic. But look what it says. Her wisest ladies answered and said, Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding, finding and dividing this spoil? To every man a girl or two. You know what they said? Her women friends came along and the, the ones of servants and said, oh, you know what they're doing right now? They're getting all their stuff. They're dividing their spoil and they're getting some women for themselves. And the real word there is like slave girls. I mean, literally treating them like prostitutes. You, got, you know what? He got a girl for himself, but not quite a slave girl. A tent maker. A tent, set, you know, driving a peg. You know what I find interesting is... She thought that she was on the winning side. She thought that her son was coming home victorious. And you know what? He was dead and she didn't even know it. This is like everybody who follows every false god on this planet today. They're dead and they don't even know it. And what I find interesting is she thought that he was dividing the spoil and being given a girl or two. You know what Islam teaches if you're martyred for your faith? That you will be given 70 virgins and a mansion to live in for all eternity. Nothing new under the sun. She thought her son was out there dividing the spoil, getting all the stuff, and grabbing himself a few women on the side for his victory. Guess what? They're both dead, and that guy, those guys that flew into the Twin Towers got a rude awakening about half a second later. No virgins. You're standing before Almighty God. 
And you know what? The same is true here. They were spiritually dead, and they didn't even know it. And he was dead physically. It says, For Sisera plundered of dyed garments, plunder plunder of garments embroiled, embroidered and dyed two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. They're singing this song. They're, they're talking about him. Now it's interesting. Deborah's the one singing this song about his mom. Deborah's singing this song saying, Here, here's, here's her sister's dad, sitting, or mom, sitting at home singing this song, not realizing that her son is really dead. Not many people, not how many people agree with us, like in this case with Sisera's mom but how we stand before God that matters. Last verse. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but those who love Him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Guys, I love that. He says, let your enemies perish, but those who know you, Lord, let them be bright as the sun. Guys, we know the Lord. May we be bright as the sun. And you know what's interesting? I find this to be true. Just a side note, last thing. Is that, a man or woman is often defined by their friends, but I think we can be defined just as easily by our enemies. You know, if you look at who your enemies are, I have an idea who you are. If I look at who your friends are, I have an idea who you are. And then it says, so the land rested for 40 years. That's the long-term fruit of being faithful. 40 years is a generation, and every 40 years it needs to be a revival because every generation must make their own choice when it comes to Jesus Christ. You're, you're not saved through your parents. God has no grandchildren. Every generation has got to make their own choice. So in closing, walking in victory. Number one, willingly responding to God's calling upon your life. Number two, remember all that God has done for you. Number three, by remembering who you were before you came to know Christ. Number four, by boldly proclaiming what God has done. Share with others. Number five, by walking in obedience in the face of the enemy. And number six, by putting the flesh to death, dying to yourself daily. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I do pray if there's anybody here, Father, just struggling, maybe doesn't even know you, soften their eyes and open their hearts to who you, soften their hearts, open their eyes to who you are. May they know who you are in a real and an intimate and a personal way. Father, for us who know you, may we not be like Reuben, thinking about serving you someday. May we not be like Gilead, sitting at home, caught up in our own comfort. May we not be like Asher or, or Dan, Lord, so busy doing other things that we miss out on what you've called us to do. Lord, we know we don't have to do it so you'll save us. You've saved us already. But Lord, I pray that we would have a desire to serve you because we love you. Because Lord, we want to be a tool in the hand of our master. We want to impact the world for eternity. So, Lord, we come desperate before you, humbly before you, Lord, like Deborah, just saying, Lord, use us. We're available. Lord, we're not able, but we're available. But you're the one that makes us able. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.